When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Metal Mike, and I welcome you to the A-Fish Motley 94 Spectacular. Whoa, are you excited? Hey, are you a Motley Crew fan? Are you a fan of their 1994 album with Karabi? Well, if you are, then this is the show for you. I'm joined by my Twitter pal, A-Fish, and he is a mega fan of this album. Together, we talk through the lead-up, Vince's departure and solo album, the 1994 album, its aftermath, all kinds of what-ifs, you name it, man, it's all here. And there's cool sound clips and interviews sprinkled in to enhance this epic trip back in time. Now, totally off topic, if you are a KISS fan, check out me and my buds doing a cover of I from The Elder. That's over on YouTube. But now, it's time to go on a hooligans holiday with Mr. A Fish and explore the glorious Motley 94. Check it out. Well, Fish, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How you doing, brother? Man. Glad to be here. Honored to be on a podcast with Metal Mike, for sure. <laughs> and this is going to be the A-Fish Motley 94 Spectacular. So it, it's, it's going to be huge. <laughs> so you are big into this album. I, I am too. Uh, but I always notice that when there's an opportunity to talk about Motley Crue or talk about this album, you always chime in about this, about John Karabi. What, what caught your ears with this album? Why do you love this album so much? I personally think it's the best Motley release of them all. I think Nikki was probably tired of doing all the hard work in the band. Um, who knows what really happened between the band and Vince, but I do know I was into Karabi with the Scream mm-hmm. back before any of this went down. I think I've sent you a picture of this, but I had a personalized license plate of uh, one of their songs. I believe in me, mm-hmm. and I just really dug that guy from the get-go, man. Just I thought the scream was great. I liked his voice, the power, the you know everything he could do. I thought the scream should have been a lot bigger. Now we can talk about you could do a whole podcast on bands that should have been bigger. <laughs> There's but, a lot of those, um, you know. Like everyone, there was no 24-hour news cycle online back in the day. I found out through. Metal Edge magazine that uh, Karabi was announced as the new singer. I mean, it wasn't, it's not instantaneous like it is uh, nowadays when somebody quits the band or the statement the same day. That was not the case. And I just knew Karabi from the screen back in the day. And when I found out he was going to be the new singer, I thought it was a great move. I mean, at that point, I had grown pretty tired of Motley Crue, to be honest with you, especially even though it's so millions, especially Dr. Feelgood. Sure. Let's jump into it, man. Let's let, let's kind of go through a timeline. So in your opinion, in some conversations that we had, you you feel like the cracks are starting to show at Dr. Feelgood, which is surprising because Dr. Feelgood is like their pinnacle, right? The commercial pinnacle. Uh, what about this? What do you feel? What's wrong with Dr. Feelgood, in your opinion? Commercial pinnacle, man. I, I'm not a fan of uh, hysteria either, but it's so... 
millions of copies, and just like Dr. Feelgood sold millions of copies. That album, uh, I was pretty excited when it when I heard it was coming out, and I got it, and it just felt like a letdown to me. I mean, there were some catchy singles, and of course they released every catchy single. <laughs> right. But the overall song quality, you've seen in some of my tweets where I call it Nikki Filler. Mm. I mean, the Time for Change and Slice of Your Pie, Rattlesnake Shake, Sticky Sweet, She Goes Down. I mean, that's just repetitive and right. just garbage, in my opinion. I just thought he had either run out of ideas or they could just put out whatever they want at that point and it would sell five million copies because there are some bad songs on Dr. Feelgood. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Now, let's put it in perspective. I bought this when it came out in 89. I was 13 years old. So for me, like, this all made sense. And I, I probably thought it was their best album when I as a kid. You know, I was like, oh, this is great. You know, big sound, big singles. But um, I, I agree with what you're saying. When I go back to it with my adult ears, like, the only songs that I really have much tolerance for are the singles. Like, I don't like Sticky Sweet and Rattlesnake Shit. You know what I mean? You're right. These are your atypical, you know, 80s metal sex tunes or whatever. You know, they're just, there's nothing really original about any of them. And, you know, you try to stack that up against Too Fast for Love or Shout at the Devil. There's no comparison. So, it was the right album um, for the time, for the year, obviously, it sold 6 million copies. You know what I mean? And here's the thing, Fish, about Motley Crue, which which might be a hindrance to them you know, in their mindset, is that every album they do, they keep getting bigger, right? I feel like where like Rat was like really big when they came out, and then every album started to sell a little bit less, Crue sold more, I think, think with every single album. You know, from Too Fast for Love to Dr. Feelgood, the sales just keep going up. And overall, I got to admit, I do think Dr. Feelgood's a better album than Girls, Girls, Girls. So I think the Nikki filler that you're talking about has, you know, starts after Shout of the Devil. You know what I mean? Even though I love all these albums because they were like my childhood, this was my one of my favorite bands, uh, a lot yeah. of that Nikki filler, you know, is seeping in from Theater of Pain on. But, um, you know, I, I think the bad part of this is that I think the crew, or maybe even in Nikki's mind, it's like I think they think they can do no wrong because you keep putting something out and it keeps getting bigger you know what i mean you know it almost seems like it's destined to fail at some point and that that's coming right it is there is going to be commercial failure as we talk as we go on but yeah i think that's the only danger and and the other thing that's that's kind of dangerous is when you think about you talk about some of these songs like these filler these cheesy songs they work in 89 but what would they do to your reputation in 92 and 90 you know three you know what i'm trying to say it's like cherry pie dog eat dog Incredible album by Warrant, but nobody could get past Cherry Pie. You know what I mean? It was big in 90, but it was really yep. wrong. And it was one of those things that people pointed the finger at. as like, this is what's wrong with this genre, you know? So I think Crew played into some of that, and I think some of it bit them, you know, as we got into the 90s. At least the group showed they still have a sense of humor when asked about women, fire, and hairspray, the main components of their videos in years past. Dude, that is a Stupid question. Doctor Feelgood wasn't like that. You know what? Let's Same just, old let's wasn't just, like let's that. Let's knock the interview off. This is getting really stupid. Women, hairspray, and fire. I, I totally agree. Um, I was a fan of Molly early, not as early. I picked up Shout after I picked up um, Theater of Pain. Mm -hmm. um, 
and Shout is a great album. I think that is just a solid album. You know, it's interesting. Motley uses different logos and different themes and dress different for almost every album. So they kind of had the, uh, you know, unlike Kiss, which is the same K-I-S-S since day one, Motley has a lot of different logos. And, yep. you know, they changed their image and changed some of their songs. And But I... Back in the day, in 89, I was 20. I was just burnt out on the crew. Feel Good burnt me out. I didn't even go see that tour. Mm-hmm. And I loved them. And I, was, I think uh, Pastor Pussycat opened. Um, but I just, I was just tired of them at that point. And I just think creatively they were running out of ideas. And you know, who am I to judge? Because it sold millions of copies. But <laughs> I just was disappointed in the, in the entire album, honestly. Yeah. So... Obviously, they get through that tour, super huge. Uh, somebody's bright idea, and once again, this could be a, a misstep in the scheme of things, but the bright idea is in 91, because usually crew's doing a new album every two years, but in 91, we're doing a Greatest Hits package. Uh, one new song, uh, there's a few new songs on there, but the, the, the song that really stands out to, to most people is Primal Scream. Um, Angela sounds like it's a leftover from Dr. Feelgood, you know, and then Anarchy in the UK. Um, never really worked for me. I, I, I don't see Crew as a punk band. I know Nikki likes to think they, they are punk, but or there's a punk influence there, but I don't know if I, I really feel it the way he does. But I'll be honest, man, I didn't buy this album when it came out at first. I, I think I waited a couple years because I had all this shit. What, what did you think of Decade? I think Decade of Decadence, basically when bands run out of ideas, I think they release compilations or greatest hits packages, and that may go against you know, and I like Greatest Hits albums, but you have to give me something additional for me to buy. Decade right. of Decadence, um, it was a pretty good career retrospective. Um, nowhere near as complete as Red, White, and Crew years later. Right. But I believe Home Sweet Home remix was on that. They tried to squeeze blood out of a stone again <laughs> with Home Sweet Home, and that was that was unnecessary in my opinion. Um I do like Primal Scream. I think that's a great song. I think it's a song that sounds completely different than anything on Feel Good. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a good direction, to be honest with you. I think that was a really good song. Probably one of my, well, outside of 1994, of course. But one of my my favorite songs from Motley was Primal Scream. I like the groove. I like the beat. Um, I just think that is just a fabulous song. I think the crew was pretty aware that, you know, times were changing. And when you look at the crew, you know, if you look at when Feel Good came out in 89, at least from the beginning, crew looked very glam to an extent. Their hair was teased and, and they had a little makeup on. Like, I'm thinking of the photo shoot uh, where they're in the straight jackets. Um, they looked pretty yep. glammy there, you know what I mean? And when you look yep. at them for deca- Decade of Decadence, everybody's got flat hair, sunglasses, you know, shaved sides, uh, flannels and shorts. You know, I mean, they're, they're embracing this alternative alternative culture that's kind of come along don't you think yeah i think i think bands like motley were big enough to survive this Uh, a lot of bands were not Mm -hmm. but i think motley understood you know they can't get away with same old situation i mean no introduce me to a lover in a cellophane dress i mean (laughs) that's not going to fly a few years later now not 89 nobody even paid attention to that but in my opinion that just was not going to fly. And I think 
um, the winds had changed, and a lot of bands, Motley included, as big as they were, were going to be left out in the cold when, not one of my favorites, but when the new grunge sound came into play. Yeah. Now, this album sold 2 million copies, so Crew's still making some bucks for Electra Records. I was checking out, before we uh, we got on the call, I was checking out some dates, and here's some interesting facts here. So this album came out in October, okay, of 91. Nirvana came out in September of 91. So there's no way really to react to what's going to happen or really know that it's going to become as big as it becomes. Now, let me throw this one at you because this is kind of, I always love to play like the, I, I do this a lot on Twitter, like the what ifs and all that stuff what do you think would have happened if crew just did a studio album in 91 in the vibe of primal scream and all that kind of stuff how do you think they would have fared i think at this point i think they would have done fairly well not dr feelgood well but i think there was still some uh steam left in in uh you know 91 for them to do something with vince what do you think they could have done commercially at that point i I agree with that i mean like i said Primal is a great song. Um, I'm with you. The rest of that album, I mean, they really picked and chose, what was it, 10 or maybe 15 songs or something? I mean, you know, you could almost put all of Shout on a Greatest Hits album. Right. It was just that good. 91, I was still seeing these shows, and I was still seeing bands in 91, 92, um, the bands that I like. It just seemed all of a sudden radio quit playing it, MTV right. quit right. playing it. It was just like a universal... Um, shut-off valve to all 80s metal, rock and roll, glam, whatever you want to call it. And it just, you know, the tide turned, but it just turned quickly. I mean, it just seems like it happened overnight. Yeah, no, it definitely did. So the next thing that kind of happens from the timelines that I'm seeing out there is in early, early 92, maybe it's even January, I don't know. I'd have to check in with Paul Miles, my buddy from Australia who writes all the crew books, but but it, somewhere along the line, right, crew signs a $35 million deal uh, in the beginning of 92. So Electra Records, whoever's running the show at that point, feels like Motley Crue could still make them a lot of money. And then shortly after this all happens, Vince is out. So this has got to be, so people got to be shitting their pants, right, at Electric Records, because this is, this is gamble time, right? We're gonna, this is a big gamble that, that could be coming. Um, let's talk about the Vince leaving, fired. Well, what do you think? I mean, it's never been really cleared up. It's not cleared up really That's much in happened. the dirt. You uh, what, what's the your take whole, on it? The true story, and was it a hostile breakup? <laughs> well, I mean, there was a lot of rumors. It wasn't a, a hostile uh, <clears throat> breakup or anything it was the band did what they thought was right um uh you know i i really didn't like the direction that the music was going into and i really wasn't enthused about it and uh so they they thought that they should look for another singer so it was kind of a and and i'm not really bitter about it at all i don't like the way they went about it but um i'm really happy you know that that they're doing what they want to do and and uh, now it's time for me to move on and how did they go about it well, I kind of showed up at rehearsal. And, uh, you just showed up. It was, yeah, I'm it was trying like, to hey. get an image of what happened here. Well, it was during the, the storms, and uh, I showed up at rehearsal, and um, everybody was upstairs waiting for me with, the, with our manager. And, Did you get a vibe that something was up? Yeah, it was like it was really weird. And they said, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not really enthusiastic about the music. And I go, yeah, you know, you're right about that. And uh, they said, well, 
I think we're gonna we're gonna start thinking about looking for a new singer. And I go, well, if that's what you feel, then did your heart just stop? Well, I was I, at first. I got angry. You know, that was my first reaction. And then I just said, well, if that's what you guys want, then then go ahead. And uh, and did you just leave? And that was it. That was really you just got up and walked out. Yeah, that was really the end of the story because it, it it's almost started to turn into like a, a yelling match, and I didn't want it to to end like that. So I thought it best just to just to leave, just to go away. When you're I think back this was now, the time that Vince started getting heavy into racing. I know Vince was going doing that. Um, Nikki, as you know, did almost 100% of the writing um, on most Motley albums. Vince would come in and sing, and I don't think he offered anything additional other than his voice. And I think, you know, I think you're you're probably right. That was some pressure that the band was under. Uh, with that contract, and I, maybe that had something to do with it. Um, maybe Motley or maybe Nicky was wanting to change the direction a little bit, and Vince Neil was hesitant to go along with that. I don't think we will ever know exactly what happened. I mean, they, each side has had plenty of opportunities to get get their own word out, and you know, basically it comes down to they fired me and no, you quit, and that's pretty much the way it was left. I mean, I, I, I can agree with you there. The thing is, um, when I talk with Paul Miles, and you know, like I said, he's the guy who's, who wrote the book with Karabi, and he's basically like a biographer of, of crew. And he oh, said, I'm all, I'm all about that. Yeah. That's pre ordered right now. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. So when I talked with him, he kind of said it was, you know, it was almost like a mutual type of a thing where, you know, Vin- Vince was partying hard. Uh, beyond the racing thing, he was, he was getting wasted again. So the sobriety thing was over and he wasn't showing up for stuff and they were getting pissed off. And once again, you talk about the pressure, you know, we got we got this deal. We got to make a, another hit record. Uh, this guy seems like he's checking out. And you got to admit, man, all this time being together, people probably getting sick of each other, sick of each other's bullshit. And this one says, screw you. This one screw, says, screw you. And it's almost like something escalates, you know, maybe to a level that it never should have got to. But here's another thing, Fish, that I think about. And once again, I don't know if this is true. This is just my own speculation. I think people get in your head, right? No one's going to tell me that to, people didn't say to Vince, Vince, you could go solo. You could do this on your own, right? And there's probably voices that are with the other guys is like, hey, man, the 80s are over. Vince Neil's like the poster child of the 80s. He's the most 80s looking guy in your band. Get rid of him and you'll be bigger. You know, I think there's voices on either side of the fence that are getting in people's heads. What do you think about that? That can 100% be true. Um, you know, Vince is the, you know, the, the, the strutty, the blonde hair, the voice, the image. I mean, he is the 80s singer. Him, Brett Michaels, Joe Elliott. Yep. Trying to think who am I missing here, but you know, that kind of, you know, the blonde-headed, pouty singer, 80s, metal, glam, all that kind of fits together. And I don't deny that could be the case at all. I think, uh, you know, I think there's always uh, opportunities for people think there's opportunities for a solo career. And, uh, you know, there's, in this kind of band or this kind of situation, you don't have no men. You have yes men. Yep that are agreeing with whatever you're saying um, because they've probably been riding the train for quite a few years now. You know, whether or not Nikki started to write different or Vince was getting trashed or racing, whatever, you know, obviously there were double fuck yous and they were both gone. Yep. Um, and so here Motley Crue sat with no singer 
and a $25 million contract <laughs> that, that, you know, all of a sudden seems like an albatross. Yeah, and you know what the funny thing is, man, when you look back, you know, what, whether it was because of the climate of music, or people getting sick of each other, I mean, you got Vince Neil out of Crew, you got uh, Joey Belladonna out of Anthrax, You, I mean, you could just go through all of them, uh, Bruce Dickinson out of Maiden, uh, Halford out of Priest, this is all happening within like a five-year window from like 92 to 97, you know what I mean? And uh, so they all went through it. It's almost, I wonder if they did it so just because... You know, it's almost like in retrospect. We'll get rid of the other guy. We'll do something different, and then when we get the original guy back, then we'll be even bigger. You know what I mean? So you always wonder, you know, was somebody was this all orchestrated by somebody you know higher with some some smarts? I don't know, man. But uh, it's just funny well, to that, think how many of these bands did pattern. it. There is definitely a pattern <laughs> for sure. Um, you mentioned great examples of that entire situation, and it does seem to involve lead singers. So yeah. It was weird. It was a weird time. So before 1994's Motley Crue album, another album comes out by Vince Neil. So in 93, we got exposed. Uh, I was reading, I, I guess, at least initially, he got a pretty good contract with Warner Brothers. What do you think of Exposed? I thought it was a good album. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe, if I remember, Vince was wanting to have it out on the one-year anniversary of the breakup. I don't think that happened, but I remember reading that that was what he was wanting to do. Um, You're Invited is a great party anthem. Some of the songs on it were a little cheesy, but, yeah. you know, there again, we're dealing now, with Vince Neil. you can see where we've gone, and you can see where he's gone. All his stuff's about the chicks and the cars, and, and we've kind of gone in maybe, I don't know if it's a more serious direction, maybe a realer direction. And I'm really glad I don't have to uh, to do that. Anymore. So you know, that uh, that is not surprising to me. But overall, I bought Exposed. I thought it was really good. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's a weird album because it, it like it pays no attention to what's going on with music. Obviously, it's '93, so we're we're deep into grunge, man. Nirvana and all that stuff is is taken over. But Vince has completely almost made the follow up to the true follow up to Doctor Feelgood. You know what I mean? It's got a lot of that corniness but it, strangely enough there is a lot of interesting depth on that album there's some really heavy songs and steve stevens has some real killer guitar work so there's some cool shit on that album like the edge look in her eyes can't change me yep. living is a luxury um i i do really love that album strangely enough i did not buy that one either when it first came out because I think even I was like, that. Eh, this sounds kind of cheesy. Some of these songs, like, can't have your cake, you eat it too. Some of the stuff, you know, you're in, you know, I was like, ah, oh, this is kind of cheesy. And then maybe a couple, maybe about a year after it came out, I think I was on, like, news tape, you know, clearance rack or something like that, and I bought it, and I was like, man, this album's pretty damn good. I was wrong not to, you know, yep. pick this up when it first came out. But, uh, I, and now to this day, I really, really love it. Uh, and I'm... I'm a Vince Neil nut, man. And this is where we might butt heads when we get into the Karabi discussion because I really do love... Vince Neil's my favorite guy. I love his voice. I know he's not the most incredible singer on the planet, but he's just got a cool, distinct voice. It's something... It's like the voice of my childhood. I grew up with that voice. You know what I'm trying to say? So yep. so he's always... You know, and I think that's probably going to be some of the unraveling of Motley Crue, you know, as we go forward. So, well, let's not let's not open up that can of worms yet. 1994, Motley Crue, it comes out, man. You buy it. What are your thoughts? You blown away? You loving it? What's going on? Absolutely blown away. Um, just recall 
still can recall the day just the power to the music came on. And I was just like, what in the hell? It just sounded unlike any Motley Crue sound that I had heard. And then Karabi kicked in, and I just think, I think he gave the band, really, a jolt of uh, creativity. It's just, it's just better. <laughs> better, faster, louder. And um, I think as far as like a new beginning, you know, there's there's a little bit of excitement with us. You know, Tommy and the guys all get excited or whatever because I'm, I'm uh, experiencing things for the first time. Yeah. So it kind of makes it like a new band. Right. Let's talk about this album a little bit, man. It's, it's, I, I know you're big into it. I'm into it, too. Uh, what are some key things you think Karabi brought into this thing? Well, I think he brought in just a new attitude. Um his musical skills, writing ability, guitar playing ability. I mean, this guy's pretty multi-talented. I know I'm biased, but he's a pretty talented dude. And, um, you know, in my opinion, he just added, you know, this new, it's, it's more than just a lead singer. And I think that's what Vince had been for all those years, just yeah. a lead singer. No contributions musically, lyrically. And I think Karabi brought all of that actually to Motley for the first time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously the voice is, is completely different. It's it's very raspy. It can be very bluesy, uh, and it fits well with, with the heavier sounds that they were going for. Uh, but you know, there's a times where it also is very commercial. You know, I mean, it sounds like it could work. You know, I mean, uh, the harmonies all sound really great, and uh, I think it works. It's definitely not. And maybe it wasn't for everybody, but I thought it sounded pretty damn good. You just push play. There's no filler on this album no and i think the songs have a lot of different dimensions to them you know what i mean when you go through this album where you know like if you let's say an album like girls 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 it's it's pretty static right it it doesn't change all that much maybe you're all i need you know you got the ballad but it's pretty it's pretty straightforward where this goes into a lot of cool places i mean there's real heavy elements to it there's bluesy elements. There's uh, there's times where it's almost psychedelic or you know Beatlesy. So they really go and try some different things that they've never tried before. One hundred percent agree. Mick was unbelievable on this album. Tommy's Tommy, great drummer, but I think uh, Karabi pushed him lyrically and musically to a to a different and better direction, in my opinion. You know, lyrically, it's probably no comparison because, you know, we talked earlier about about Dr. Feelgood and Sticky Sweet and Slice of Your Pie, and these are like the most stereotypical, goofy, you know, sex songs that you could ever think of. And now we're really getting into some deep stuff, you know I mean? We're talking about... You know, people contemplating suicide, and we got dropping like flies, and we're you know we're getting into some deeper uh, social stuff than we really the probably. The whole chick party thing is is not part of what we're about anymore. It's about totally. now. It's not about then. That's over. It's dead. It's past tense. You know, you can't live in the past. Never had before. Uh, without a question. I mean, um, I'm anxiously awaiting the Karabi autobiography um, next month, but. You know, I think he in there mentioned Uncle Jack, which apparently is a true story right. of his someone in his family, uncle or something, that was you know taking advantage of kids when they were young, and they wrote a song about that. I mean, there's no way Vince could pull that off. Right. I mean, it's just the anger. You know, let me run the razor across your throat. I mean, you that's just. I mean, it's just a blow to the head, man. It's just a whole separate sound. 
Yeah. And, you know, one thing you could say, too, is it does kind of harken back to maybe some of the earlier Motley Crue themes. Because if you look at Shout at the Devil, there's a lot of, like, anger and darkness on those lyrics. But that kind of thing kind of went away as you got, you know, later on, you know, as you got to feel good and stuff like that. So it was definitely hearkening back to some of that stuff, too, where, you know, Nicky had no problem, you know, doing some dark tunes, of course, you know. Yeah, he's a pretty messed up dude. I've got some of his books, man. (laughs) You know, 6 a.m., you know, was one of his side projects, which is kind of out there a little bit. But, um, yeah, as soon as um, Theater Pain and 85-ish, the glam look, and then that went through Girls, Girls, Girls into Dr. Feelgood. I mean, honestly, there's as many, in my opinion, good songs as there are throwaway songs on all three of those albums. I just yeah. I just think those albums are bloated with none songs. I, I, I've got a couple that I'm going to throw out there, and then I'll, I'll have you do the same. I mean, obviously, I think Power to the Music is a great song. Especially, I, I think the chorus-wise, it still kind of feels familiar, uh, you know, as, as the Motley Crue that we know with those big choruses. But uh, but there's something different there, and it's just a cool, just like a cool kickoff to the album. Obviously, Hooligans no, Holiday, great tune, you know, catchy, you know, obviously, maybe, you know, if you could dial back Motley Crue. But here I am, here I am doing this what-if stuff, you know, maybe if this album could have came out in 90 before everything imploded, you know, that maybe could have been a hit in that era but you know for the era that we're in there's probably no chance of, of crew to have a hit but you know that it is a cool single uh misunderstood is so cool and i think this kind of goes back to this uh you know experimental type stuff because this is where you feel like it's got some backwards guitars and some beatlesy stuff the way the music's kind of panned as it starts off you know that's you hear a lot of experimenting poison apples i always thought was definitely a kind of a throwback to the older crew sound you know i could i could pitch i actually can picture vince maybe singing the chorus to that one i, I felt like that was kind of trying close. to trying to trying to <laughs> yeah uh hammered is cool till death do i part i think is an awesome slow heavy you know type of song and then i'll just end it off with smoke the sky i mean super super fast super super heavy it's like taking kickstart my heart and you know ramping it up like uh you know times a hundred or something like that so those are ones that kind of stand out to me. Probably some of those same ones stand out to you. What, what do you got to throw out? What, what yeah, you think I mean, of some songs? Yeah, you know, the power to the music is just a sledgehammer uh, starting off. I mean, just the tone and the drums and Karabi's voice and Nikki's bottom end. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I remember listening to it going, whoa. I mean, just like, okay, you know. We're on to something here. We're setting the tone. And I'm with you. Yeah, it's just it's just incredible, that bottom end. Um, looking Holiday, like you mentioned, catchy as hell. I, I don't quite get how that didn't make it. You know, release kind of a rocker and then a ballad and then a big rocker, which I think the official third single was Smoke the Sky. I, think, mm-hmm. I don't think the video ever got played, but I think that was officially or unofficially the third single. But, yeah... You know, Drift Away I Love, Misunderstood I Love, Till Death Do Us Part. If you weren't going to mention that one, I was. <laughs> um, just the just the menacing tone of that song, just the, you know, just the undertones of it, man. It's just, you know, dropping like flies. I mean, I, they're bouncing off my head, but, yep. you know, anything 
and everything. You know, Uncle Jack is a scary song. I mean, it's a great song, but I mean, the the subject is just out there, man, especially for Motley Crue after listening to Dr. Feelgood and all that garbage, in my opinion. No, oh, I was looking for some uh, thing that I read that Vince said, and it took me a while to find it, but I, I did find it. And this was... Um, something that he put out maybe about the time he was promoting the Exposed album. And he says he was really ousted because he wasn't a blues guy. And the rest of the band very much wanted to be blues. At least that's what he's saying at the time, you know, 91, 92. He said, we've been rehearsing for a few months, but we didn't record anything. Uh, it just wasn't sounded good to me. I'm not a blues singer, and Motley is a rock band, not a blues band. Uh, I think it's a stupid idea that will alienate the fans. And it's funny, you know, when you listen to the album, I wouldn't say it's, you know, totally bluesy, but, you know, Love Shine, I feel like it's very bluesy, and I think there's parts of Misunderstood that, that kind of are bluesy, and I, it's funny, I'm just, it's it makes me wonder, you know, like, what were they trying to do at that point, or were they really just trying to go a direction that they knew he couldn't go, and, and this was not going to make it much longer? I don't really know, you know, but that's that's what he I, says. Yeah, I would take... I would take probably on both sides uh, their versions with a grain of salt. Um, there's some pretty <laughs> pretty rough stuff out there, them talking about Vince during those couple of years. But, uh, you know, honestly, I may have mentioned this or some degree of it. You know, I think, you know, there was a newfound energy in this band that they could do something different and do something outside, quote-unquote, of the Motley Crue Realm. Now, do you, obviously, I think I might know the answer to this one, but I'm going to ask it anyways. But we'll discuss it. Now, do you think Karabi was unfairly blamed for the commercial failure of this album? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the easy, you know, you, okay, we sold 6 million copies of Feel Good and, you know, 500,000 of this. What changed? We changed singers. Right, right. I, I, I don't think an album with Vince in 94 with that era would have done very well either to be honest with you but you know i think you know electra you know from some of the stuff i've read and kind of researched the musical era was going undergoing a lot of changes and i think a lot of changes were getting um being done at some of the record labels and record companies i think a lot of people that you know signed a lot of bands maybe 80s bands late 80s bands a lot of those people were being shifted out of positions or downsides or whatever the case may be. I mean, and it was bloated. It, you know, there was copies of copies of yeah. copies of bands by the time you reached 90, 91. You know, there wasn't a whole lot left out there that was original. Yeah, I think, you know, Electra plays a part of this, too. They got new ownership. They've got a $25 million contract, and they're like, hey, you know, we need $4 million in sales to break even or whatever the case may be. But, you know, that said... Motley took that heat and took the, you know, the, the scaled down tour and the low album sales and were like, you know, damn it, we're going to go through with this. I mean, they started a new album with Karab song titles are out there. You can research, you know, Personality 9, I think we mentioned was going to be the name of it and mm -hmm. just would love to have heard that or hear that. But, you know, I think even through it all, they were like, you know, full speed ahead. They were, they were on their way to album number two with Karab. Yeah, and what's funny is um, I want to say when I talked to Paul Miles, he said that Motley 94 has just slightly outsold Generation Swine. I mean, I think they're both gold, but just like I said, they're pretty comparable, you know, with each other. So so bringing back Vince wasn't 
um, you know, this big commercial success that they thought it was going to be. And another thing that we, we should talk about is it sounded like when they were trying to make this follow up to the 94 album, uh, it's almost like what they wanted to do was kind of erratic. And, and that's why I think if you listen to Generation Swine, you hear that no matter what. It's like they were telling John, like, oh, John, you should try to be more like Bowie for this one. Or, John, you should try to be more like, uh, you know, Rob Zombie on this one. You know, they were throwing a lot of ideas. And when, at least when you listen to Motley 94, it's a definitely a consistent sounding record. You know, it has, it has a nice look. We talked about it. I mean, they go different directions, but it seems cohesive. Um, now, get me, don't get me wrong. I'm going to just put this out there. I do like Generation Swine. I'm one of these whack jobs that actually likes this album. Uh, I just think I I'm a sucker. I have heard you say that in the past. I have <laughs> heard you say that. I will give you that. Yeah, so I've always liked this album. Uh, probably because at that time when it came out, I was kind of getting into different kinds of styles too. I, I kind of I didn't mind electronic music and different things. So when Motley Crue was, was dabbling in these styles, I, I really didn't mind it. Uh, but I think when I go back and listen to it, I can kind of pinpoint, oh, sounds like they're trying to be um, Stone Temple Pilots on this one. Uh, this one, they're trying to be Pantera. You know what I mean? Like, I can feel like I can find the songs where they're trying to be, you know, somebody else. So it's a little frantic. Uh, it's a little all over the place. But I do like it. I feel like there are a few songs that I'd like to remove off of it. But, but you know, Vince, I, I, I give him credit. I know he doesn't like that album. He doesn't like Generation Swine. But there's certain songs that I think really work with him on it. Um, Rat Like Me, uh, Generation Swine. I think there are uh, – Afraid is super cool. So I don't know how much of that was kicking around uh, when John was in the band. I know there's some YouTube videos of him doing Let Us Pray. You can find that, but it's I don't think it's the same lyrics, but it's the same music. It's something something about it was different from from what I remember. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Swine sounds disjointed to me. Yeah, I it mean is. and I think that's a good word. I think, you know, in the dirt, Karabi at some point ends his contribution in the book by saying, Make up your fucking mind. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, I think being pushed and pulled and then you've got, you know, lawyers and uh, electric executives, you know, making phone calls and pushing Vince around. And, you know, it's not like Vince went out and had a His solo album was actually pretty cool, but it's not like he set the world on fire either. No, so. no. And um, it sounded like from what I'm reading is that Electra would not put any money into Generation Swine unless... Vince was the singer on it. And I think it was a real negotiation between the two managements because, you know, Vince's management was basically knowing that, you know, this guy really can't do anything without the crew commercially. The crew kind of knew they couldn't do anything commercially without Vince and uh, they were they were going to try to give it a go. I think probably by the time they got to the 2000s when they got to uh, New Tattoo and um, I think they were really becoming more of a touring act. And they did some pretty big tours with, like, you know, Megadeth and, and a lot of those metal bands um, opened up for them. So I feel like Crew kind of weathered the storm and, and then kind of got more of a, to a back to a legendary status or, you know, like a, a legacy band as they got into the 2000s. But the 90s were a rough go for them, for sure. Yeah, a rough go for a lot of the bands we'd like. Now, one thing I will say is that Motley Crue were not pervious to the grunge saturation. So I feel like if you listen to Uncle Jack, I believe there are some bends in Uncle Jack. Uh, there are also some harmonies that are Alice in Chains-ish on um, Dropping Like Flies. So I feel like there are a few touches of what's going on in music. You with me on that or what? I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I, 
I just don't think the 89 feel good. You can't pass that off in 94. Right. Times have changed. I mean, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Allison Chains, all those bands, they just, you know, it basically was a, a copycat version of the mid to late 80s where everybody wanted a poison mm-hmm. or they wanted a new the new version or the newest band and people were getting record deals that went out after the other and I think that was basically the same with mid 90s this sound kids you know putting up a point I, I don't understand where these people went I mean yeah 89 sold millions of copies and then Vince's solo album and uh, the Motley 94 album sell gold you know right. 500,000 each yep now, where did five, six million people go in the span of three or four years? And you can't tell me that, well, they all grew up. I just don't buy that. No. I just don't know where these people went. Well, I, I think I think I kind of know where some of them went. I think when, when you get that big... Uh, you've got a lot of fake fans, right? You got, you got. They're not with you for the duration. They, they haven't been with you because obviously six million appeared uh, in '89. But if you go back a couple albums, that didn't sell six million. So you, so you've got some new fans that kind of jumped in. They're fickle. Uh, they'll go with whatever's on the radio. Motley Crue's not on the radio yeah. anymore, so now they don't know Motley Crue has a new album. You know what I mean? So I feel like those are the kind of fans that were attracted with feel good but they weren't diehards like you and i that are going to stick with you through thick and thin so when you commercially tank a same thing with kiss and i think i'm going to bring up a few kiss correlations here in a second um this is what happens you're left with your diehards okay now all right so here's the thing about kiss and motley Crue. i feel there's a lot of correlations between these two and the thing that happened to motley Crue that was so unfair was they came into a new era of music that is totally unlike what the era that they came from, right? Motley Crue are the poster children of partying, decadence, girls, 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 all this kind of stuff. And now it's like, you got to be serious. You got to be deep, man. There's songs like Jeremy out there. You know what I mean? And there's there's a lot going on. Kiss got lucky. Kiss basically created hair model, right? Let's face it. They're the forefathers of hair model. Same thing with Van Halen. So when the 80s come in... Yeah, Kiss had to change a little bit, but that's really what they did, always have done. You know, what I mean, that's just that they're just doing their thing, man. Uh, Poison is influenced by Kiss. All these bands that are big are, you know, influenced by Kiss. So Kiss could kind of fit right in, and people were accepting of it. But with Crew, there's no way that um, if you're a Nirvana fan, that you're gonna see see what Motley Crue's got going on. It ain't happening. No, and I think people um, tend to forget how big radio and MTV, to a certain extent, VH1, but MTV playing the videos you know, every hour, on the hour. Headbangers Ball was always got pretty good ratings. Um, but radio and MTV support dried up. It just withered on the vine right. in a span of about a year. And you had to seek out new albums and new videos and um, new music, per se. And I think that's you know, to have it, you know, pushed down your throat is one thing, but, you know, how hard is somebody going to go looking for a new Motley album if they haven't uh, seen them since 89, you know? Yeah. So let, let's run a couple scenarios. Let's do, let's, let's run a couple one if, what ifs, and I want to get your opinion on this. What if this album comes out with Vince Neil on vocals? Let's say Krabi's just a writer or something. I don't know. Who knows? Let's say this album comes out, Vince is still in the band. Does it sell better? Or does it not even matter? I don't see how Vince would pull off 
those vocals, to be honest with you. Right. I think with Vince there, I think Nikki writes an entirely different album, uh, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I just don't see how, how he could pull that off. You know, I keep hearing the stories. You kind of mentioned it, you know, what if Vince was the lead singer? What if they called it something else or a new, yeah. new yeah, album? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. You've got a known brand, you know, Motley Crue. That, that's as, probably as solid of a of a beginning as it goes. <laughs> right. But the times were so different. And it just the span of a few years, the times were just 100% upside down from what, you know, I think they had remembered. I would not want to hear Vince sing that album. And I really don't think it should have been called anything else. I mm-hmm. think in 1994, that was Motley Crue. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think there's, I think with things like that, uh, you know, you can look at everybody. Look at Kiss the Elder or when Striper, you know, did just a regular album. Those are kind of like, I call them like nuggets or gems in somebody's catalog. You know, in retrospect now, the Krabi 94 album is a great, nice little thing to have. You know, I mean, you can go back on it now and be more objective. No matter what your feelings were, you can go back and say, well, that's just a great album. It doesn't matter that it was in the middle of the grunge era or Vince Neil left or whatever the problem is, you know, that's all been passed. And now you can just take the album for what it's worth, you know. And I think that hindsight is always good and years away from situations are always good. But I think with, so I don't, so a couple points. I think. I think if you got Vince there, and even if you did a different album, I think it probably sells a little better than than maybe without Vince. Because I think I think Vince had a lot of fans. You know, what I mean, I think it was pretty clear that Vince, you know, was a big piece of Motley Crue. I think they underestimated. That's my opinion. I think they underestimated how much of a part of Motley Crue that he was. Yeah. I, th- I think they thought. I think they thought they could do it just like Van Halen and so many others did. But once again, you're going into a different kind of situation you know kiss and van halen and everybody else didn't have to go through this grunge thing where whatever they were doing before is is looked at as you know being cheesy or horrible or whatever you know let's play this one okay so i kind of get what people say when they say what if they called it something different okay so let's play this one out you could have did this as a side project okay you put this out and then you know, maybe regroup a few years later back with vince but once again man fish i'm telling you this you're still the guys from Motley Crue doing a side project, right? Everybody yep. still, for the most part, just doesn't want to hear about Motley Crue anymore. You know what I mean? That stuff is, is sailed. They don't want to hear it called some other thing or whatever. It, they're still the guys from Motley Crue. So I, I think that stigma's still there. Uh, what do you think? For us, it feels like a brand new band. I mean, there was actually talk about changing the name of the band because we didn't want to have to have these conversations, you know? But uh, the, our record company's greed factor kicked in, and uh, they do kind of cut it, got us for a few more contracts. So. I would agree with, I mean, Nikki, Tommy, and Mick, if, even if Vince is not standing in the picture, you look at those three guys and go, that's Motley Crue. Yeah. Vince could not even be there, but that's, that's who they are, and I think that's an interesting point. You know, I still think Motley is Motley, and I would have put it out under the name Motley Crue, and, yeah. you know, let everybody figure it out otherwise. You made a great point, and I agree with you 100%. Why would you want to start from scratch? You still got that name, Motley Crue. Now let's go backwards to what we were talking about earlier. They just came off their biggest album. 
why would the band that was just the biggest rock band on tour and on MTV uh, just a couple years ago, why would we just shit can this whole concept and start something new? It doesn't make any sense. And you just sold a freaking big ass, you got a big ass contract under that name. So so Molly Crew didn't have a lot of options to, to experiment at this point. You know what I mean? With, with names and all this kind of stuff. I think they I think they had to give it a go as Motley Crew and make the make the best of it, you know? One hundred percent. One hundred percent agree. I don't think Alexa's gonna sink that kind of money into, you know, Nikki's bride of destruction or whatever. <laughs> right, you know, I right, think, yeah. I think it it's it's Motley Crew and for better or worse, they forged ahead and I still don't understand the non sales of this album. Every time that album comes up, now you know I'm gonna be somewhere in that conversation. Yep. But there is such an appreciation for 1994. Anytime it's brought up, there's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 people comment. That's a great album. Motley's best. Karabi was great. You know, I think you mentioned this earlier. Uh, it's kind of, you know, retroactively, you can listen to it and go, damn, that really sounds good. Right. And maybe it was just too much of a shock up front for people to, um, to get, you know, but also times they were a change in as they say. Yeah. This is a this is an interesting one that I like to throw out there. I, funny enough, I think I actually did a Photoshop of it and, and some web rock website picked it up, but Sebastian Bach obviously sounds like he tried out or there was talks, whatever. Um I I don't know if I would have really cared for that pairing personally, but I would like to have seen what they could have did commercially because you're getting, I mean, obviously Bach was a way bigger name than uh, John Karabi. And, yep. you know, he's definitely had his own following he could bring. Backside of it, he's the po- he's also a poster child of 80s metal. Um, so I don't know. I mean, they, they did a real good job with Slave to the Grind. I mean, they, they really changed themselves from one album to the next. And they were do- playing with Pantera and all that kind of shit in 91. So if Crew oh, yeah. could have got him... I, I, love, I just, once again, one of those what-ifs. It would have been cool to see what they could have done commercially. Could they have, at least sales-wise, you know, did a little better or survived a little longer, you know, without Vince? I don't know. It's an interesting interesting question. You know, the Skid album came out in 89, early 89, if I recall, and they kind of missed the 85, 86, 87 Bon Jovi-ish era and they really like you say they really and maybe this was sebastian's preference but they were always you know a little harder a little more rockier Mm -hmm. a little more outspoken about things i mean i know there was a lot of controversy with some of the you know shirts he wore and (laughs) you know and some of the fights and stuff with bands and fans and all that but um the skids kind of escaped that uh, you're right. They were playing festivals with that with Pantera. That's an interesting concept. I know there was some other names that tried out for the band. Yep. Let's talk about the tour a little bit because the tour obviously was just about as ill-fated uh, as the album was. But the but I thought it was a great tour. I saw. I know you saw, it and I saw it too. Uh, I saw it in New Upstate New York, and uh, at the show that I went to, it was Typo Negative, King's X and uh motley crew and what a killer triple bill for that for that year you know what i mean and it, the, here, here's the weird thing let me tell you this so 
I want to say two, three years before that, three years before that, I went to Operation Rock and Roll at the same venue, and it was uh, Judas Priest, Alice Cooper, Motorhead. I mean, we're talking, you know, this was a whole different animal, right? And that place was yep. freaking mobbed, right? I mean, I there's people all over the freaking place. And then when I went to see Motley Crue, I, I got to admit, I was shocked because it was not even remotely as packed um as that as that show what do you think well you know it was a weird time you know it was a it was an odd time it was changing yeah i mean all the motley you know motley's whole career was about excess over the top you know and then and then all of a sudden all these bands started coming out of seattle that were the antithesis of that you know and it, it was rough man it was weird like concert tickets were weird but it wasn't just weird for motley it was weird for everybody right you know, Bon Jovi, Def Leppard. God, I remember doing a show in Jacksonville, Florida, and we played a uh, like a basketball arena, and there was like two or three thousand people in like a fifteen thousand seat arena, and we were like, "Oh man, what's going on?" But it was funny. Richard Marks was playing right across the street in the theater, and he probably only had four or five hundred people there in like a two or three thousand seat theater. Right. So. It, it was just a weird time for everybody. You know, they got through it. They did my record, and then they brought Vince back, and they got through it. And, you know, obviously, look at them today. They're doing great business. But it was really cool to hear Karabi do the, the Vince songs. They broke down and did that little acoustical piece where they did, like, Love Shine and Home Sweet Home and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what was the attendance like when you saw them? Um, I went back and looked at this. I saw them July 3rd of '94 in Charlotte was an outdoor arena. I recall attendance being pretty good, I, but, you know, I, I was kind of in awe. I, this was really the first time I had ever heard of or heard the songs of Typo Negative, mm. and they were quite a bit different than, say, you know, Faster Pussy had opened <laughs> up for Motley in 89. Yep. So in 94, we have Typo Negative came out just, you know, those army green shirts and black guitars, bass, drums, just very, very different. You know, King's X, very technical band, very good band, but, you know, really uh, appealed to a certain audience. I don't think either of those helped the attendance. Right. I, but there again, you know, Motley can't bring out, you know, a second version of Warrant with them. No. Not at 94. We talk about how everybody loves this album today and, and, and thinks fondly of it. Some of the members think fondly of it, right? Mick Mars always says nice things about it. Uh, Tommy Lee has said great things about it. Nicky seems to bash it a little bit. He doesn't, he's got, yep. he's got a little bit of issue with Karabi. I don't know why. But we're two years away from a 30th anniversary. Do you think this thing gets a reissue? Because I'm sure there's all kinds of stuff out there that you could add to this. And for those people like yourself and myself who find this era, you know, cool and fascinating, I mean, I'd be all over a 30th anniversary package of this reissue. What do you think they'll even acknowledge it? Take my money. <laughs> take my take my money. I, right. I'm, you know, there's some uh, import CDs. There's some CD singles. You know, I found a bunch of stuff, whatever I could find with some of the extra tracks, but I believe it's the tour program, which I have apparently is a collectible, you know, wherever there's electricity tour 94, but the tour program I bought and in it, if I'm not mistaken, there is a picture that shows song titles and there must be 25 song titles 
you know, even bits and pieces. I don't know how, you know, obviously 12 made the album, but you know, there's three or four that are floating around, you know, not even including Quaternary. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I would be all over that. I, I don't <laughs> quite understand the disdain that Nikki has for the album. Um, you're right, Tommy and Mick are all about it. I think uh, Karabi was working on the solo album with Mick Mars. Yep. And Tommy, I think, was just having a good time. I just think he he was just having a hell of a time. I don't know. Maybe it's part of not hurting Vince's feelings to, you know, kind of put down that album a little bit. But I just don't think Shout is probably close. But I don't think there's anything in their catalog that compares this song by song. Yeah. Now, what would be interesting is um, uh, we didn't mention this earlier, but when I interviewed um, Stephen Chereau from Kick Tracy, he kind of got into a lot of detail about you know trying out for Motley Crue and he said they were in a studio and I I would assume some of this might have been even recorded could you imagine if they've got some footage video audio anything of like Steven Chereau doing live wire right or, or you know what I mean like how killer what a time capsule from this era that they could put out if it even exists I don't know but I mean I'm telling you it could be really killer and think about the um Karabi stuff from Generation Swine, which was going to be called Personality Number Nine. There's a lot of that. That's kind of some of that's hit YouTube, you know. Um, so there's there's stuff, man. There's even t- song titles that have been thrown out of the material they were working on with Vince. Footage of uh, songs with Vince uh, before he left the band uh, and Karabi came in. So man, if you could somehow compile all that stuff, that would be like a freaking box set. That would be some fascinating shit. Yeah. It- I think probably a little, probably stretching a little much for box set. Probably a, you could put a double CD out, and I'd be all over it. You know, I think you could re-release, you know, re-record, not re-record, but uh, you know, remaster, remix those twelve songs. Oh, they don't need much, but I'm sure you have an extra album's worth of outtakes. Yep. You know, half songs, full songs. You know, put all the songs that are on the Japanese release, and put all the ones that were some of the you know baby kills and some of the hypnotized and stuff like that yeah. that are kind of hard to find unless you're really looking for them but i'm with you that there's i think there's more to it and i just you know the positivity this album received really upon any mention i think is proof that it that it's uh, held up pretty well through the years well, man, I think we covered a lot of ground, a lot of what-ifs, try to make sense of all of it, and uh, it, it was great talking to you in person, not just on Twitter, and uh, I'm so glad that uh, you got to sh- share your love of this album with everybody, man. It's really cool. Yeah, man, I appreciate being on, man. Feel honored. Feel honored. Well, that was great, talking some Motley 94 with A-Fish. Power to the music, people. Rock on!